0: So I was uh, preparing this week, and or preparing last week, and trying to come up with something. And I, you know, it's Christmas time, and you you always want that uh, super Christmasy, you know, themed message for the month of uh, December. And and um, I'm really I always leave my wife to do the holiday messages because I really stink at them. I'm not good at coming up with you know like these Christmasy and Eastery kind of messages. I'm just I yeah that's one thing that I've uh I've just kind of realized that I'm just gonna push that to my wife because she's good at that and I I can stay away from that kind of stuff I um but uh I was thinking about it and you know it, we watch Christmas movies and the holidays we watch um you know the, the the ridiculous specials the the constant 24 hours of Hallmark TV Christmas movies and all of you who laughed have been watching them um and, um, you know, it's just, it's a constant barrage of, of feel-good movies and, and um, just kind of, a, I don't know how to say it, um, sappiness to Christmas. Um, and there's, there's two mindsets that you can, you can live in, and that is by the, um, the fluff and the feel-good part of it, and then you can live by... All right, and then you can see the the deep rooted meaning of of why we celebrate it and and why we we have what we have and who we are because of of what was done for us um, and i 'm not downplaying the, the the light fluff part of it that 's great we need that it, it keeps us in that that kind of celebration mood, but we need the the, um, the deeper parts of it to understand and to to grow in um, understanding of who God is and, and who and why he um is who he is but um I was really looking at you know the the gospels and looking through you know Luke and Matthew and reading them and you know um I've started, decided to read the entire book of Luke and the entire book of Matthew for you today and everybody looks up and I'm like oh crap <laughs> and I'll be reading them in the King James version so we'll be we'll be we'll be good today um so the, um, so if the are ready, um, no, I'm just kidding, um, but I, I read through the Gospels, and, and I read about the wise men, and, you know, they, it talks about how they bring the gifts to him, and, and um, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, and, um, and looking at that, I was thinking about the, the three gifts that they brought him, how they were symbolic throughout his life, and, but I also wanted, it started to make me think about the three gifts that, that um, God gave us in in Jesus, um, and we always celebrate His birth, and we celebrate His death and burial and resurrection. But I want you to look beyond just those mi- mindless phrases of death or birth, death and resurrection, um, because those are just words. It, it's what's the meaning of those is, is what where we're we're looking for in we look at the three gifts that God gave us because of Jesus. And, and the first one is this, is, is his birth. It brought hope of a coming freedom for people. Um, they had been enslaved. God hadn't spoken to them in 400 years. Um, they were, you know, it, Israel is really good at not being free. And they were, um, they are a good representation of us, us as humans, how we put ourselves into a bondage, whether we realize it or not. Um, Sarah and I have this analogy that we use, and it's called the Christianity box. And you're standing in this Christianity box, and and um, it feels big to you. But as you start to grow, your hands start to touch the walls. And you're spinning around, and it's like, oh, it's free, it's free. And then you start to scrape the walls. You ever been in a small room, and you, you move around, and you scrape the walls? And Israel was really good at that. And us as humans are really good at that, is... Um, grow, put ourselves, we we get in this box and we think this is how Christianity is, or we're put in a box and that's how we think Christianity is, and then we start to grow and we start to hit the walls and we're like, wait a minute, I thought this was freedom. But it's a box. And Israel is really good at putting themselves back in a box, not just spiritually, but physically. They are like, oh, we're free. You know, you look at the Old Testament, we're free. And we're moving out of bondage into the wilderness. And then they put themselves into bondage in the wilderness. They spend 40 years of wandering. That's their own form of spiritual bondage in the wilderness because they refuse to believe what God said he was going to do. And so we as Christians tend to do this. We, we put ourselves into a spiritual bondage that we don't even realize we're there until we start to scrape the walls or start, we start to run into the, the borders of our, our freedom, our so-called freedom. But Israel was such in a, such a place of 400 years of bondage and then 400 years in the new, between the Old and the New Testament of non-communicado. And this is, everybody said like, well, God didn't speak no, I believe God spoke to people, but Israel didn't hear. God never stopped communicating with his people. I believe Israel had, didn't have ears to hear. And that's why Jesus said, all you, have ears, let him, you who have ears, let him listen. It, it wasn't that God wasn't speaking to people throughout the, the, those 400 years. I believe that there can be hundreds of thousands of people that don't hear from God, and then one person can hear from God. It doesn't mean that, that God wasn't speaking to people. It doesn't mean he didn't speak to Israel. You know, and we look at that, and they're, they're living under captives. They had multiple captives. Um, they, first, it was Egypt, then, it was this country, and this country, and this country. They were always doing, they, they moved into the land of freedom that was supposed to be free for them, and they were supposed to remove people and, and exile people out of that land of freedom, but they chose not to. So they put themselves back into bondage, and you read throughout the Old Testament, and the New Testament into the New Testament, where they didn't remove people, those people came back, put them into slavery, put them into bondage. And then kingdom after kingdom, because they weren't obedient to Christ or to God, was they got re- exiled from their own country. You read the book of Daniel or Daniel, and you read all the different aspects of that, and they're constantly exiled, brought from one king to the next king, because they weren't faithful to God. But when the prophets came in, they started to prophesy who Jesus was, and they foretold what he was going to do. And but his birth, the prophets foretold his birth, which was a coming freedom. But in the Israelites' minds, freedom was you're going to remove Rome from us. You're going to remove any captives, any, anyone who wants to hold us into slavery from our, our uh, country, from our lands. And, and what God was doing is, is, and what they didn't realize because they were standing in their box, was they weren't able to see the new thing. It says in Isaiah, it says, behold, I am doing a new thing. It says, do you see what I am doing? That that was God saying, "I'm doing something new. Do you have eyes to see what I'm doing?" And then Jesus said, "Do you have ears to hear what I'm I'm saying?" So Luke one twenty six, it talks about the birth of Jesus. I'm not going to get into or read it all, but um, verse twenty nine says Mary, Luke uh, one twenty nine says, Mary was greatly troubled at his words, and this is the angel said, "Greetings to you." He he. Came and oh, just imagine you're standing there. You know, I don't know what 16 year old girls did back in Bible times, probably sweep the house, you know, wash the floors, uh, do whatever they do. I don't know. I didn't live back then, but the angel came to her and he says, Greetings, you are highly favored in God's eyes. You really don't see that a lot in the Bible, that you are highly favored in God's eyes. That's a, that's a huge term. Highly favored in God's eyes. That wasn't like, oh, hey, I just chose you because you were the first person I looked down on earth and saw. He said, no, you were highly favored. Because something in her life, she lived a life that God found favor for her. We don't know a lot about her. We don't, there's no backstory on who Mary was before the angel came to her and talked to her and said, oh, by the way, God, you found favor in God's eyes. So I believe that there was something in her life that, that God saw and said, man, that is the person that I am going to choose. So verse 20 says, Mary, Mary was greatly troubled by his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call him Jesus. So twice he says, you have found favor with God. That's huge. That, that, is, that is mind-blowing because before that, it was hard to find favor with God. We had no redemption. It was constantly sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice. Verse 32, it says, He will be a great and he will be called the Son of the Most High God. The Lord God will give him a throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. And Mary says, How will this be? Goes, since I am a virgin, the angel answered, said, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, so that the Holy One will be born and be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who has had been unable to have a child is, will conce- has conceived in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fall f- or fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word be fulfilled in me. Then the angel left her. So, one thing that most people don't really talk about is Mary had a choice there. I don't, God will never force himself upon anyone. God will never do anything against our own will. But the last thing that Mary said, she goes, may your word be fulfilled in me. The angel says to her, you will carry the son of the most high God. God doesn't just sit, come to. God didn't think about you know when he's Adam and Eve. He's like, I'm going to send my son. I'm just going to go eeny, meeny, miny, mo, and just some ask some random person. Think about this. If he had asked some random person, some random girl, came down, form angel comes down, and says, "Oh, by the way, God, God wants you to carry His son." Most people would have said, "What?" And walked away. But Mary, God knew before he created Mary. He said, this is the person that's going to carry my son. God knows what he's doing when he creates a person. And he knew that when Mary was, before she was even formed in her mother's womb, like David says, you know me before, while I'm knitted together in my mother's womb. While before she was knitted together in her mother's womb, he knew that he was going to send the Holy Spirit to place his, his son inside of her. But she had a choice, and she says, "Yes, let your words be fulfilled in me." So the angel leaves her. She has the awkward conversation with Joseph. Um, you know, I, I can't imagine what that would be like. Um, oh, hey, by the way, um, you know, you know we're supposed to be married. Um, you know, I'm, I'm still a virgin, but God said I'm carrying his son. Can you imagine that, you know, that awkward thing? But then Joseph gets the revelation of, of what is actually true, and that it, it is actually true. And then, so as we, you know, y'all re- read the story, they go to um, Bethlehem. They have to go through to pay taxes. Um, it's a requirement to go back to your home city. And we're going to skip down to Luke two, and this is verse eight. And um we always angels we have heard of on high, we sing that song. It, it's um a great song, but these shepherds are out in the field. They're they're watching their sheep, they're watching um their herds of animals, um, not just sheep, but it's Just let's just say midnight. How many guys are afraid of the dark? Okay. Um, so, just imagine sitting on a hill, middle of the night, just making sure that nothing's going on, and then the entire sky fills up. And I love this. Um, read from the Passion translation. It says, "That night in the field near Bethlehem, there were shepherds watching over their flocks. Suddenly." An angel of the Lord appeared in radiant splendor before them, lighting up the field with blazing glory of God. And the shepherds were terrified. So it's not just lights, but it's the literal glory of God lights up a field. So there's a reason why they were terrified. It wasn't just the blazing lights, it's the glory of God. When the glory of God is there, you look throughout the old testament when the glory of god shows up people are afraid they fall flat on their face they fall down in worship and they're like this is the god of gods this is the most high god so they're out there you know just chilling making sure some of them are probably sleeping some are awake you know they got to make sure that lions bears you know any kind of animals aren't other people aren't stealing their sheep and then the glory of God shows up in the heavenly host. And one thing that you have to realize too is when, when an angel shows up, they're not showing up under their own power. They're showing up under the power of, of God, and the glory of God is showing up with them. And I love what they say. It says, the angels assured them, saying, do not be afraid, for I have come to bring you good news and the most joyous news the world has ever heard. And it is For everyone everywhere, for today in Bethlehem, a rescuer was born to you. He is the Lord Yahweh, the Messiah. You will recognize him by his miracle sign. You will find a baby wrapped in strips of cloth and lying in a feeding trough. Then all at once, the vast number of glorious angels appeared, the very armies of heaven, and they all praised God, singing, Glory to God in the highest realms of heaven for peace is on earth and in good hope is given to the sons of man. So the angel shows up in the glory of God and then the rest of them, the armies of heaven show up and they start to praise. So, I mean, I don't know how audible that was to the rest of the world, but to those shepherds sitting there, at that moment, the glory of God, the angels of the the armies of heaven show up and start to celebrate and sing that. But what they say is this, there is peace and good hope given to the sons of men. That term, sons of men, is a term that you know, we could spend hours on talking about. But what I love is this, is they, said, they didn't just say, oh yeah, by the way, hey, there's some guy that's going to take care of you. What, what happened is in the garden and when Adam and Eve turned, war was waged. War was waged upon man, and God. Man turned on God. They, they committed treason. But they said, for there is peace and good hope given to the sons of man. So God is, is literally saying, okay, my son is coming. My son is here. He is not, He's not just a baby that's going to, to release you. He's a peace offering. When you wanted to, um, in ancient times, when there was going to be a peace treaty, they didn't just come and say, oh, yeah, if one army that was stronger than the, the other army didn't, the stronger army didn't come to say, oh, by the way, let's just come to an agreement and we'll, we'll let you guys live and we're not going to take your country. We're not going we're not, we're not to harm your people. We're, gonna keep, we're not going to take your livestock. Stronger armies came in and they wiped them out. The, uh, the weaker army would come and say, oh, by the way, hey, we really want to create peace. Let's, let's make an agreement, let's come up to a treaty that we can live in peace. But what they ha- did when they came was they brought things to give to them. They, they didn't just, oh, by the way, hey, can we come to an agreement? Oh, handshake, oh yeah, okay, good, we're, we're going to go live in our life. They brought gifts because they had to pay something to receive that. They didn't just come to the stronger army and say, oh yeah, you don't wanna, we don't really want you to, to kill us, so can we agree upon that? No, it was we bring gifts and we bring something to give to them and then come up with an a, a agreement and a treaty with each other. That treaty was that they would be loyal to them in return that they wouldn't slaughter them. So that that treaty was not just given to them, You know, it wasn't come up with an agreement, the the, the poor country or the weaker country, ah, Yeah, we don't really want you to kill us, so can you just not agree to kill us? No, it didn't work that way. There's something that had to be given in order for that to be done. But what I love about this is, the God who created earth, the most powerful being on the earth, comes to his enemy who is weaker and cannot take care of himself. and says, oh, by the way, I want to make peace with you. Stronger forces don't want to create peace with weaker forces. But the God who loves us says, I want to give you something as a, as a peace offering. As something to, to reconcile us back. So both nations, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Israel, will be reconciled to each other. Verse 15 says, When the angels disappeared back to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go, let's hurry and find this word that is born in Bethlehem and see for ourselves what the Lord has revealed to us. So they ran to the village and they found Mary and Joseph and there was the baby lying in a feeding trough. Upon seeing the miraculous sign the shepherds recounted what they had just what had just happened everyone who had heard the shepherds story was astonished by what they were told but Mary treasured all the things in her heart and often pondered them and what they meant the shepherds returned to their flock ecstatic over what happened they praised God and glorified him all the way they excuse me for all they had heard and seen themselves just like the angel had said so we look at Jesus, the first gift that God gave us in the, in the person of Jesus was a peace agreement. He gave us a peace agreement that there would no longer be a war. It's our choice, like a peace agreement. You can come up to, you know, if you look at great wars, peace agreements usually come by another country destroying another country until they, they fall into submission. But it wasn't like that. God, God gave a gift and said, I'm giving you a gift. You can be part of it or you cannot be part of it. But the first gift that he gave us in the person of Jesus Christ was the gift of peace. Not peace in our hearts, but peace with with the kingdom of God. The peace in our hearts comes later. But that was one of the first things that, that God gave us in the person of Jesus was that peace between him and him saying, I am not angry with you, I am not upset with you, I am not at war with you, and I don't want to destroy you. See, they were still living in an old covenant before Jesus died, but what God was saying is, I'm showing you something new in, an old, in your old mind, but do you see what I am doing? What I love about Matthew 2 is this, is when the wise men visit. We always talk about the gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And those are key aspects of Jesus. And I don't have time or three weeks of talking to get into those because those are huge symbols of who Jesus was as a person. But think about it. It's three. God works in threes. He's got a Father. We've got a Son. We've got a Holy Spirit. We've got His birth, death, and resurrection. And we have three wise men. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And those are key. If you look up the, the number three um, for biblical, it, it is huge um, that when you read this, the different aspects of God, when the wise men visit. But I, what I love is this. Is, um, verse uh, Matthew 2 verse... Let me look at this real quick. I just lost my spot here. Oh, right here. Uh, verse 5. It says, He will be born in Bethlehem, the land of Judah. They told him, because the prophecy states, and you little Bethlehem are not insignificant among the clans of Judah. For out of you will emerge a shepherd king of my people Israel. What we don't realize, and what they didn't realize when, excuse me, what they didn't realize when they were saying that is for hundreds of years, they had waited a coming king. They were expecting Jesus when he was, was king to come in and what was he going to do? He was going to overthrow the Romans, their captors, their, their people, and, to, and expel them from the country. But God spoke in a, in the prophecy and says that he's not a, a, a just a king he's not a conquering king he's a shepherd king and that that shepherding part of it was to bring his people together to bring his people into to unification not to expel them but to change their hearts but what they didn't understand was they were looking at Jesus as the coming king the reigning king and the reigning king wasn't going to come and overthrow caesar and wasn't going to overthrow herod he was coming to reign in their hearts he was coming to reign in their lives and not just a uh, they wanted some violent overthrow if you read um the the some of the writings between in the 400s uh, uh they call it the 400s between when god stopped speaking to them uh, it talks about some of the different things. And there was constant overthrows. People calling themselves the Messiah. Oh, I'm, I'm the Messiah. I've come here to deliver you and starting violent uprisings to do this. But Jesus, said, Jesus the first gift was, was peace. He came in peace. Not, I'm going to come and overthrow. He came, God's first gift to us was peace. The war is over. God is not going to say the war is over and then start a war. God, he said, when he calls his son the Prince of Peace, that means he's the Prince of Peace. He's not going to come in and start to attack. But Herod want, thinks, oh my gosh, somebody's going to overthrow me. They're going to come in. They're going to kill me. Because when you, in those times, when someone gets overthrown, you don't, don't just get overthrown and, oh, you get exiled into wherever. No, you get killed. You get beheaded. Your family gets wiped out. Everything gets wiped out. So he, he is attacking and sending people to look for him. But the wise men understand what is going on. Because he's not just looking at the wise men, because these wise men are kings too. They're not just some four, three random guys that come up and say, oh, by the way, hey, we heard a prophecy we want to know. He's threatened by them too. Because they are our kings, because he doesn't want anybody else to know what's going on. So we look at, at the, the first part of it, And it's peace that is the first gift of Jesus. It brought hope for people. It was bringing them hope. They didn't understand what he was doing at the time, but it was hope. Something filled their hearts. The shepherds had hope in their hearts. The wise men had hope that they would see the king who was going to reign. The second gift that we look, that God gave us in Jesus, was his death. And... You know, it, we we go over that during Easter, but the prophecy says, "For the life of a creature is in the blood, and I have given to you to make." A, excuse me, I have given it to you to make atonement for yourselves on the altar. It is the blood that makes the atonement for one's life, and then in the fulfillment of that prophecy in Matthew twenty six twenty eight says, "This is my blood of the covenant." which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of their sins. Jesus, the, third, the second gift that God gave us in, the, in Jesus was the redemption of our sins, the debts that we could not pay. He paid for us. We, we look at, at that and it's like, you guys ever had like no money? Okay, we've all been there. We've all been there, whether it was in your uh, early adulthood when you get married and you're broke and you're eating ramen noodles, or if it's, you know, jobs, lo- you lose your job, something happens, we've all been there. And there's these bills piling up and you're like, where, you know, you just kind of lean on them, you know, you're just kinda like, where, what am I going to do with these? You know, they just keep getting bigger and the, the pile gets bigger. And you're like, ah, I've got to figure out what to do with those. But not today. We'll, we're not going to do that today. But that's what sin was like for us. Something that we could not pay, something we could not afford to pay ever in, in our entire life was piling up. And Jesus came and said, I'm canceling those debts. I'm canceling those debts that you cannot pay. That price that you cannot pay for your own sin. I am paying for it. His blood was poured out for the forgiveness of our debt of sin. That the bill collector, Satan, couldn't come calling and say, oh, by the way, hey, yeah, you owe me because you did this and you did this and you did this. And you never paid your interest on this. His body was broken as a payment for that. If we look at the 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 mindset of um, the Jews, and we look at the mindset of the Romans, the the Jews they they would have, if they were not uh, a conquered nation, if the Romans hadn't been there, they would have taken him out and they would have stoned him. But the prophecy says that he will be uh, that he will be hung on a tree crucifixion only came through Romans. Jewish people were a little more um, subtle with the way that they, they killed people. They would just stone you. And sometimes stoning was, hey, I'm going to throw some rocks at you. And other times it was, we're just going to drop huge rocks on you and kill you. But the Romans were known for their brutality. They were known for, we're going to hang you up and you're going to be a, a public display. Because crucifixion wasn't just something to kill people. They killed a lot of people crucifixion was something that was a public display to say look what this person did and this is and also to say hey this is what's going to happen to you if you do something like this so it says cursed are hung on a, only the cursed are hung on a tree but it, and it says that he was cursed for us so his death is not just something that was um, he died for us in the in the way of of okay he, his disciples come to him and they're like oh my gosh he's like no don't worry i'm going to pay the price for you let them go they're innocent what he's saying is when he is brought before that when he stands there in his death he says i'm going to i'm going to take it i'm going to take the blame there's a movie with um oh gosh um I don't remember his name right now, but um, Spartacus. It's from the it's from the fifties or early sixties, and um, they're all captive in front of um, the, all these men are taken captive, and what happens is is they're all going to be killed unless you reveal who this person is. You're all going to be killed. So the guy who is actually Spartacus stands up and says, "I am Spartacus," but then because. The people love him so much, they think, well, no, I am Spartacus. And then they keep going on and on and on, and it keeps growing. But what Jesus did is he, he saw the people, and he saw what was going to happen to, his, to the people that he loved, and he says, no, I'm going to take the blame for them. I'll take all blame for it. You guys ever done anything stupid with friends when you were younger, and you just say, you know what, I'm gonna, I'll, I'll take the blame for this one. Or you just own up to something. Even if you didn't do it, you just like, I'll take the blame on this one. I'll take the, I'll take the fault on this one. That's what Jesus said. He goes, they did it, but I'm going to take the blame on this one. Think about this. You know, you take the blame on one person, you feel guilty for a day or two. You know, you're like, blah, blah, blah. I wish I wouldn't have done that. But think about this. Jesus says, I'm going to take the the blame for the entire world, the past, the present, the future, and, and I'll take the blame for that. And he says, you know what? I'm going to do this. So what he does is he takes everything he says, I'll pay for it, I'll take care of it, all their debts, I'll take it. I'll pay for it. And that's why his blood, when his blood was shed, it was poured out for our sin. It covered our sin. It wasn't just like, oh hey, here's a little bit and hopefully it'll take care of it. When when we, we take our sin and we take our fear, we take our doubt and we say, well, I know Jesus paid for my sin, but I don't know what, he, what if he is going to take the, if he's going to take this fear, if he's going to take this doubt. We're discounting what his blood did. His blood was shed for everything over our lives. So that means anything that tries to come into our lives has to go through the blood of Jesus. And whatever comes out of our mouth and out of our lives has to go through the blood of Jesus. So when he's saying, hey, I'm going to take the blame for this. He's saying, I'm going to, I'm going to cover all of your sin, all of your debt, everything that was, was accused against you or has been accounted against you, I'm going to wipe that account clean. And he says, my body is going to be broken for you. My blood is going to be shed for you so you don't have to. And so he dies and, and they take him and um, frankincense and myrrh, our key in the Bible for what they were used for was burial. So those are symbols of, of death. in when they're, he's given frankincense and myrrh as a gift, it's a symbol of what he is going to do. Um, but he, he's, he's and, and what I want you to understand this is Jesus was not murdered. Jesus was not murdered. You cannot murder a willing person who is willing to sacrifice himself. Uh, we, we talk about this. Oh, Jesus, he was murdered. He was hung on a cross. No, he was not murdered. He willingly went to the slaughter. He willingly put himself there. He didn't say, well, they didn't draw straws and the disciples go, well, Jesus got the short straw. He gets to do it. But Jesus was not murdered. You cannot murder someone who willingly, what did he do? He laid down his life. So he lays down his life. He's laid in a tomb. And he spends two and a half days working on our behalf. And then on the third day, which is the most amazing day ever, is the resurrection. The resurrection does this. It gives us hope for eternal life. Because if Jesus couldn't beat death, there would be no way for us to beat death. But Jesus conquered death. If He did not rise again, we would not have a hope for eternal life. We would not have a hope to one day be present with God. If Jesus had to die for our sins, and that was it, and we're like, oh, we're free. But well, what else after that? See, God doesn't, God doesn't start a plan and just have something not end up. God has it worked out all the way through. Because Jesus' death would have paid for our sins. But if he hadn't rose again, if God hadn't r- r- raised him from the dead there would be no hope for us. So Jesus just dying alone, great. Our sins were paid for, but where do we go after that? But God's like, I have this worked out. I know what I'm doing. And, it, it, and in our minds, it's like, how do you do that? But God's so powerful and so great that he has it all worked out before he even created the foundations of the earth. So he brings his son back because his plan was to bring us back. It wasn't just to redeem us, wasn't just to set us free, but his third thing was eternal life. His third gift to us through Jesus was eternal life because he brought his son back because he was trying to reconcile us. We were reconciled to the Father through the blood of Jesus Christ and by him dying. But being reconciled to someone and never seeing them again, how weird is that? How can you you okay, we've made up I'm, a huge argument, teared, tore us apart, but now we're reconciled, but I've never, I'll never talk to you again and never see you again. It doesn't make sense. But God, God knows better than us, and he's like, I'm going to reconcile my children to me, and I'm going to bring them to me. So he gives us eternal life. That when, by the washing of the blood in our life, brings us to right standing with Him so we can come back into His family. He made us whole, but now that we're whole, He brings us back into the family of God. Romans eight eleven 11 says, If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give your life, give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit, who dwells in you The resurrection gives us a future hope it gives us a hope that whatever happens in life that we have we will see our father that we will see Jesus that we will be in heaven be with him Think about this the disciples they flee they're afraid Jesus is dead they don't know what's going on they have. They're like, "What is going on?" He said, "He, he said, you know, in three days I am going to build this, uh, rebuild this temple." I don't know what he's under. They half the time they didn't understand what he was saying. They figured it out after after a while, but um, you know they're they're scattered and but they but they remember. He said, "On the third day, I am coming back." He didn't say it in those words, you know, and it wasn't in these and those either in King James. But um, he's like, "I am coming back." They, Jesus spelled out the prophecies for them, but they still had some doubts. But on the third day, it's, they're not sitting at the tomb going, <laughs> waiting for it. They're not like, they're okay, it's, it's 11.59, 11.59, 29 seconds. Oh, there we go. No, they weren't waiting there. They were afraid to. Who, who went down to see if that he was there? It was a woman. She was going to go put uh, fragrance on his body. They were afraid to go down, but they knew what he said. But, but fear overtook them to keep them away. I don't care if he was. I would have been like, okay, I'm going to stand way, way far off and be like, they can't see me. I'm looking through the bushes like, okay, uh, they can't see me, but nope, too, he's, not, he's not back yet. If someone promised me I will return, I'd be like hiding in the bushes, peeking through stuff, dressed up like an like a old person, you know, trying to wait to see if Jesus, you know, like, I would have made myself look like a, a leper just to scare him off just to see if Jesus is back. But they wouldn't. And so a woman going to cover his body in spices sees that the tomb is empty, and she, and then she sees Jesus and has to go back and tell the rest of the guys, God loved women. if you look at that. Jesus, most of the time when he reveals revelation to people, it's through a woman. The woman at the well. He's like, okay, hey, um, where's your husband? She's like, well, I don't have a husband. He goes, "Like, I know that. And then he reveals his, her life to her, but he brings her hope. But Jesus, he... he the resurrection gives us a future hope that we are reconciled man our father loves us but the hope to see him one day the hope that we can walk through those gates and he can say hey it's been a long time i've missed you and to be able to be in the presence of the father for eternity Jesus went before us and the promise of Christians is that just as death was not the end, it wasn't the end for Jesus either. We, we always talk about death. Um, there's this line and it says, death is just the doorway to my faithful lover. He is the lover of our souls. Death is just the next step. It's, it's, this, we, we fear this going away. It, it is it is who we are as a human being, our mortal bodies. We fear this sometimes as this is going away as we age and, and sickness and stuff like that. But it is just the next step to our Father. It is just the next step to our faithful lover, the lover of our souls who sent his Son to die for us. And it says in uh, Jeremiah 31 and 31, it says, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and the people of Judah. Matthew 26, 28 says, This is my blood, the covenant, which is poured out for the many for the forgiveness of sins. He poured that out. He brought a future hope to those people. And his resurrection now allows us to go and see our Father who loves us. His birth is celebrated not just because of his birth, but what he was going to do in the future. We celebrate his birth because we know what he did for us. We don't celebrate his birth going, oh, yeah, a baby came into the world on Christmas. We don't celebrate that. We celebrate celebrate that because of what he was going to do as a man but he brought hope that baby brought hope to the people who saw him the shepherds they didn't just go back oh yeah that was great yeah yep no they i guarantee you when they went back and they were ecstatic about it they told generation after generation what happened It wasn't like, oh yeah, I saw some, we were on the field one night and he had a little too much wine and and we think we saw something. No, he said, they went back and they knew it was true because they went and they worshipped the child. They knew that he was the king. They bowed down before him and they saw the child. And when they went back, they weren't just like, oh that was fun. They were so overflowing with joy that they couldn't stop telling everybody about it. So when he, brought, when he came, it brought peace to them. Because you can't, it's hard to have joy when you don't have peace. And they had peace because they had seen the Prince of Peace. They had seen him and said, this is what the prophecies have, we've heard about for years. And the second thing is he brought redemption. Redemption for us because we could never pay the price that we had to pay. You ever walked into a place and you're like, yeah, I really like that. And then you find out the price tag and you're like, oh. You got anything that's like really close to that, but like three quarters less? You're like, um, I really like the quality. I like the design, but I really don't like the price tag. Can we work on that? You know, it's that kind of stuff. But there's a price that he had to pay for us. The quality that he, he paid isn't just like, well, you know, Jesus died for us, but he didn't die for this. No, he paid for redemption means it's redeemed. Completely, everything is redeemed. Everything is paid for. And his resurrection, the third and final gift to us in the person of Jesus was our reconciliation to the Father. The eternal life that will bring us into when we pass from this life to the next that we celebrate and we will see our Father. Paul says to be absent in the body is to be what? Present with the Lord. And eventually, we will be absent in the body, but worshiping God for the rest of our lives. For eternity. He brought hope, redemption, and eternal life. And all of that came through Mary, a willing vessel, said, you know what, let it be so in my life. And I think in, in as we look at Christmas and we celebrate what we do as, as Christians, we, we understand Jesus. But I think sometimes in our life we need to be like Mary and say, you know what, let your will be so in my life. Let your will be as it is in my life. And we pray this prayer, our, our Father who art in heaven, your kingdom come, your will be done. And, and we pray it, but that it, And we speak it and we say it, but there's so much more to it. It says, your will on earth as it is in heaven. That prayer, what Jesus was talking about was that he was working the Father's will on earth the way it was supposed to be in heaven. And so for our lives, Mary, I just, you know, I, I understand why people hold her in high esteem. But she said, may your word be fulfilled in me. And I think that's what we can do in our lives is say to God, may your word be fulfilled in me. Because your word fulfilled in me. It's so expansive. So as we look throughout this year, we look at the, the story of Christmas. I remember when we were kids, we used, my dad used to read the, the Christmas story out every you know, Christmas Eve or whatever. We would always read it as a family and get together together. Um, well, it wasn't always us, but anyway, um, we would always read it, and I, you know, you, as kids, you're like, "Oh yeah," because we always had the picture book one to go with it, and we would look at it, and and it was great. But Mary had to be willing, as just the same way as we are willing. She, it's, it, talks about how Mary pondered these things in her heart. That she thought about these things. She, she contemplated these things, and and want, and probably wondered and had some revelation of what was going on. But this year, as we close it out, just say, God, for next year, may Your Word be fulfilled in me. Not, God, well, help me out with this, but may Your Word be fulfilled in me. Because when His Word is fulfilled in us, it it can't stay in us. Jesus couldn't stay in a manger When you're 12 and you're in a feeding trough, it's a little awkward to to do things. um, But the Word, when it's fulfilled in us, the Word was fulfilled in Jesus. But when the Word is fulfilled in us, it has to come out. It it can't stay inside. Jesus didn't come and say, oh, I know what the Father's doing, but I'm not going to reveal it to anybody else. No, he said, when you see me, you've seen the Father. I'm here to proclaim the good news. Read Isaiah 61. That's what Jesus is saying. It's being fulfilled in me. So, as we go out this week, may your word be fulfilled in me. May your word be fulfilled in me. I'm not saying that we're perfect. But I believe that the Word of God, when it comes into our hearts, and when it comes into our lives, and when He, he takes over and we surrender ourselves to the Prince of Peace and the King of Kings, the war ends and the Word can be fulfilled in us, and the Word can come out of us, and our lives can be a representation of, of Jesus sending or God sending his son that we are going out and say God let your word be fulfilled to me because I want to go out and I want to I want to let people know that the war is over that peace on earth goodwill to men that God loves us he is not angry with us that he is not at war with us and you can say you know what man God loves us I, I remember Sarah was talking to somebody and they're like well God's just angry at me It's just like no God's not angry at you when Jesus said, I'm, I'm going to sacrifice myself, he made that choice. He made that choice and said, you know, if you can't, if you can take this cup from me, please let, let it go. But if not, then it's not my will, but yours be done. So Jesus said, just like his mother did, said, you know what? I'm making that choice. He said, so it's not your will, or not my will, but yours be done. And he's saying, on earth as it is in heaven... He's saying, let us reflect heaven that the word may spill out of us. That his will will be done on earth. Jesus was starting the the moment he stepped on earth and, and had his ministry on earth. He was fulfilling what the Father was trying to do on earth so that we could have heaven on earth and not hell in our lives. So when he says, not my will, say God may your will may your word be fulfilled in me and as we go out that is what we need to say okay God let your work be done through me let your word be filled in me let your word come out of me let's pray